0: Good afternoon, and welcome to the 22nd annual SCAT Savannah Film Festival. My name is Jada Reed, and I am a junior film major from Bethlehem, Pennsylvania.
1: And my name is Max Austin, and I am a junior visual effects major from Linden, Michigan. Today's panel will be sound design and mixing for Hollywood's creatures, superheroes, and villains. At this time, I would like to welcome our moderator for today, Michael Coleman, to the stage, who will then introduce today's panelists. Thank you so much. I'm so excited to see everyone here today. I'm incredibly just excited to be here again. This is the fourth year I've come back and, and brought some of my good friends. Um, and today is I'm such a treat. You know, when I think about people who are doing exceptional work, creative decisions, storytelling, two of my friends, Robbie and Lindsay, have uh, just exemplified that in, in every which way. And so um, I'm not going to hold them back any longer. Please. Give me a good welcome to Lindsay and Robbie Sandler. As you can see, both Robbie and Lindsay have worked on a lot of films that I'm sure many of you have seen. And uh, we picked out a few that maybe aren't as familiar. So I'd love to start off before we start getting into clips, because we have plenty of clips and a lot of stuff to talk about. I'd love for you guys to just talk about your evolution career-wise, both Robbie and Lindsay work and have worked at Bad Robot, which, the, for those of you who know, is J.J. Abrams' production company in in Santa Monica, and Venice? It? Santa yeah, Mo- Santa, Monica. Monica. Santa Monica. So, maybe we'll start with you, Robbie. Give us a little background on your, your, your journey to and from Bad sure, Robot. Sure, sure.
2: Before I do, I just have to say, I feel like my journey started on the Soundworks Collection website. If anybody in this room hasn't been on that website, it's Michael's site that he runs, and it's Absolutely amazing, if you, if you in, the fact that you're here proves that you'd be interested in it, so you should really go check it out. Um, but to answer your question, um, I started in uh, the picture department um, in editorial. Um, I thought I wanted to be a picture editor, so the path to that is you know generally you start as an editorial PA in cutting rooms, and then you work your way up to becoming an assistant editor. And um, it was actually while I was an assistant editor, I saw a kind of an interesting void, like a gap that existed in between picture editorial and sound editorial. You know, more often than not, it's they happen in different places, and sometimes picture editorial is moving so quickly, um, there was really an opportunity to start doing sound editing and sound design in the Avid. So, as an assistant editor working on JJ's films, that's kind of where I got my start. How about you, Lindsay? It was a little
0: different. Um, I got my start. uh, Oh, and first of all, thank you for having (laughs) us here. Um, It's a pleasure. Um, But yeah, I got my start after college. I moved to Santa Monica and started in the commercial mixing world. Um, Mixing commercials was there for eight years. Um, It's a great life and uh, really puts you... Uh, well, it gets you very prepared for the film world if that's the move you want to go to because uh, agency, ad agency uh, clients are just as demanding as the film and TV clients. Um, but yeah, I wanted to try something else because I started in commercials and I wanted to get into more long-form uh, material. And I had a friend, um, you know, you move to L.A. and you just make friends everywhere you can. <laughs> and uh, I had a friend who was working at Bad Robot, and said, hey, we're trying to start an in-house production team here. Would you like to join? And I was like, yes, of course. <laughs> uh, and so then that's where I met Robbie and we worked on our first film, which was a horror film. And that yeah. was so much fun. <laughs> horror films
2: and sound in horror films is like, it's so much a part of the experience. So that was a great first outing that we had. It was really fun. Yeah.
1: So you can see kind of an overview of kind of what Bad Robot and JJ and his production company, a lot of TV, a lot of films. A lot of really interesting science fiction, horror, fantasy, um, just wonderful storytelling, and we'll see how sound kind of fits into that that equation. Um, one of the before we dive into a bad robot project, um, the three of us actually had worked on a project for THX. Are you guys familiar with THX? So THX um, is is celebrating their thirty fifth anniversary um, in the past year, and so. They were releasing this new trailer that um Andrew Kramer and uh, if you're familiar with Andrew Kramer who runs Video Copilot. Um he was on he was the lead for Visual Effects, and then a good friend of yours, Ben Rosenblatt, who was a producer at Bad. Our Robot. former boss. Your the, former boss. The guy who
2: brought Lindsay and I together.
1: Yeah. Yeah. So it was, it was a very familiar cast. Andrew also did opening titles, I think, for Star Trek and Yeah. Some of the other and then,
2: Yeah, he's worked on all of JJ's films, more yeah. or less.
1: So it was a very familiar team, and then my part was uh, I was THX is a a company that I work with, so I was producing a behind the scenes documentary about the work that you guys are doing. So we're going to play this clip, Um, it's called Genesis, and uh, so Robbie did the sound design and Lindsay was the re-recording mixer and uh, we'll just let you guys listen. So when someone gets a phone call to ask if they can do the sound for a THX trailer, you kind of wonder, is it real? What, when when Ben reached out to you guys and told you about this project, what did you guys think?
2: I mean, I was like, what? <laughs> what, what is there to do? We already have the THX sound. Like, there, how do you top that? And then, you know, Ben got into it and told me what it was. And, um, I mean, I was delighted because, like, I remember going to movie theaters and a young kid and like a big movie and something, there would be that THX logo and it was just incredible. And like I always remember, you know, seeing, you know, Dolby would have these trailers that would kind of highlight the sound system before a movie. And it's such a fun thing to do. I mean, it's like sound candy and it's and it's animation and. You know, every sa- you know when you're working on something that's live action you get a lot of sounds for free with the production but when you do animation you have to create everything from scratch. So I mean like it was just amazing and then to have the license to use the THX sound or to even like mess with the THX sound and like try and create a new THX sound or the version a new version of it was just it was super fun. When you get to play with raw ingredients like that, it's like you, you can't not enjoy yourself
0: yeah um it was really cool because he first like showed an animatic or like it was just like a drawing of the idea and he's like well it's the idea of us we start like in a inside a snow globe and then we pull out of that and it's a different world and then you pull out of that and it's something else and so i think um Robbie did a great job because you know you hear hints of the deep note like throughout the piece, and and not too much or anything. It's like you hear like little tastes of it here and there, and so it was fun
2: to work on that and just mix it. I mean, it it was just the craziest amount of panning you've ever done. Oh my god!
0: That, well, that that's the name of the game with this with this spot too, because I had to work in the THX Spatial plugin, um, which is different than at mixing in Atmos or anything. You can't the panning doesn't really translate so. Um, yeah, they but they really wanted to create this spatial mix that you would basically listen to it on your phone and you could, you would be able to feel the panning, uh, with this phone that they're introducing. But uh, yeah, it was, yeah, I it was
2: remember. Wild and amazing. Somewhere <laughs> in your B roll of the of this stuff, there's like you see the all the panning and it's just like, it, it's just balls flying.
1: <laughs> so for you guys, it's it's a what's the 60 second spot or is it 60, is ish, maybe yes. Yes. It's 60
2: seconds. That sounds yes. about right.
1: <laughs> we've been it, it came out in August, but we've been working on it indirectly on and off yeah, for we a worked year Yeah, and we've on and half. it for over a year. Yeah. yeah. Uh, I mean, it's it's I think the the bar was everyone set the bar really high and there was many iterations that it went through and I feel like uh you guys came to a place where it was like checked all the boxes for you guys being really happy and satisfied.
2: Yeah, we we tried a lot of different things, a lot of different things. Actually, funny enough, we we tried this ending where when the THX logo comes up, it's quiet. And I thought that that was just like, wow, what a what a crazy different thing. Unexpected. We actually had the THX logo, uh, sort of the sound climax when the ship goes away. But uh, I think it was a little too out there. So we didn't do it. You
1: went there and then you came back.
2: <laughs> yeah, but that's part of the process. You know, you got to break it to make it better. That's awesome.
1: Um, all right, so we're going to shift gears and jump straight into a film. How many people have seen... Ten Cloverfield Lane. Are familiar with it? All right, fantastic. So it's a film that came out uh, 2016, and this for you guys, I think, uh, was the fir- wasn't the first time you guys collaborated, was it?
2: No, but this this is really. It, this was like a first for a lot of people on the crew. Like Dan Trachtenberg, who directed this film, is his first feature film. Stefan Grube, who edited this film, is his first feature film it was not our first feature film, but it was our first big outing with JJ Abrams behind us producing in the roles that we now have come to live in. So yeah, this was our baby. We're very, very proud of this one.
1: So the first clip we pulled is the opening of the film. And uh, very quickly you start to recognize that you don't know who or what is about to happen. I mean, there's assumptions I'm, you know, as, a, as an audience member, but what were you guys trying to achieve in those first few minutes.
2: Well, let's watch the comp mix and then we can talk about it. Yeah, so we're going to
1: hear the full mix, um, the theatrical mix first.
3: Has still not been restored to many cities on the southern seaboard in the wake of this afternoon's widespread blackout there had been some inclement weather in the region
4: the problem seems linked to what authorities are calling catastrophic power surge that is dribbled traffic in the area
1: So there's a lot going on there and I imagine when you guys got this there was little, I mean, what production did you have and obviously the, the you should tell the story about the phone call of who Ben is.
2: <laughs> uh, fun, Lindsay, you tell it.
0: Okay, it's a fun fact. The boyfriend, the voice of the boyfriend is a friend of JJ's uh, who he pulled in a favor but it's Bradley Cooper <laughs> who is the phone voice and uh, I, you know, JJ just said, hey, can you read these lines? This is what's happening in the movie, um, <laughs> we uh, we just need something, you can just record it on your phone, send it out to us, and thank you. <laughs> so it was really cool, it's like, okay, here it is, here's Bradley Cooper's voice, put yeah. it in. Yeah. And it was, it, a lot of it was like that.
2: It's <laughs> pretty funny, yeah, that's one of the fun things, working with JJ, like, he's his crazy friends, like, crazy from all walks of so yeah Bradley oh yeah my friend Bradley Cooper just read it we put it in the movie so that's fun but no I mean really the first thing to talk about with the opening of this movie is the music you know Bear McCreary who did the music and you know it's uh it's a really cool thing the the when the clip starts we're already a few minutes into the movie but up until now it's been a hundred percent music that's been carrying us and um that's a really interesting and bold way to start a movie with just music and the first four minutes, there's no dialogue, there's barely any sound effects, or, or none at all actually. And so Bear really set the tone and it, it's like this cool Hitchcockian, Bernard Herrmann inspired uh, score that he did that like sets the mood instantly, so it was really cool. And then you know the, when the clip starts, she's at the gas station and this is really, we're trying to set up how our main character, Michelle, relates to the outside world in this scene. You know, it's just a a quick beat with her filling up her car, but um, the idea of making the world around her kind of scary and foreboding and make her feel like she might not be safe in this place. So we did some subtle things with, like, the sound design of that truck and, like, making it really beefy and scary and almost like a monster. And then in the mix, really featuring bass in there. Um, to kind of give it a foreboding thing. And then, you know, when we get into the car, the, the way the mix is designed, you know, with the you're just listening to that voice, and you're in a kind of a quiet car. So it's it's a perfect setup for what then happens when the car crash,
1: you know. So something that Robbie did, which is pull out, we're, uh, I just want to play just the effects stem, so we're just going to hear the isolated car crash, basically. Um, so let's just play from here, and we can kind of see what... That sounds like... So for you, Robbie, when you're given a car crash. Yeah. Where well, do you what are the elements? What are you what are you thinking about? What the textures you want?
2: Well, the, the, the difficulty with this sequence was um, you know, there there needed to be like a staccato vibe to this crash. Like, you know, what what you I don't know if anybody, you know, hopefully you haven't been in a car accident, but they're they're horrifying and the sounds of them are just haunting. And um, the big challenge was creating um, something that had definition. So We were really trying to tell a story, a very linear story with the sound effects. So, you know, hit from behind, you know, maybe you hear an oncoming car just slightly, but you don't want to tip it too much. The initial impact, and then, you know, her reacting. So, these sounds of her pumping the steering wheel. And then, you know, that sound that your car makes when you slam on the brakes and it's trying to stop, it almost sounds like a frog croaking. I think that actually there is a frog in there. (laughs) And, uh... Kind of creating just a sequence of short sounds, and then we were given the the best gift on earth for sound, which is silence. You know the idea of having that contrast in the middle was so cool and do you remember the the premiere
0: Oh yeah, remember the premiere uh during that silence, everybody just like you could hear the audience just like, oh. like you could hear them reacting to it, and we were just like,. Oh. Yeah.
2: Lindsay and I were sitting next to each other and the silence wasn't silence. And I realized, oh my God, is this going to happen in every theater across America? The silence will be filled with the audience's reactions? Like, ha- <laughs> I love that.
0: <laughs> but, but I will say, um, it wasn't always like that. I remember you had the car crash going on and then uh, they show up with New Picture where they've inserted these titles and Robbie was like, Oh, what do I do with this? Because it wasn't—it wasn't always like that. And then you experimented with that, and yeah, it was actually,
2: yeah, really like, good. and that was born out of like the beautiful thing that happens when you're working with a filmmaker closely. You become the first audience member. You know, like I think Walter Murch talks about that as you know, as a as a picture editor, you become the first audience, and it, that's an intimate thing to have um, with a movie and with a filmmaker. So. The whole process on this movie, working with Dan Trachtenberg, it was like that. I mean, him and Stefan would have a cut, and they would call us up. We'd watch it, and we'd talk about it, and ideas would flow.
1: I think we'll see as we progress through these clips. This next one that we have here is so our main character, obviously, she's been in a car accident. She's now in a place she doesn't know what, uh, where she is, and she's about to kind of figure out where, where she is. Right. Yeah. And,
2: and the second half of that clip, the opening, when she wakes up, You know, there's lots of sound design going on, and it was all meant to disorient you. You know, like, we didn't want you to know where you were in a room, like, in a bunker. Like, we didn't even want you to understand. So there's all sorts of weirdness going on there.
1: I think, let's play this next clip, and then Lindsay love. Think spatially, uh, what's happening in this track, because there's a lot of subtle things that will start making questions. happen.
0: A lot of off-camera stuff (laughs) that helps build this world um, you know away from what you're seeing.
1: All right, let's take a look.
3: My name is Howard, by the way. God. Oh shit. I'm sorry. <laughs> oh. <sighs> sorry about that. Uh I didn't mean to scare you. Are you um um you are you hungry? So um uh how are you doing? Uh, you okay?
4: What is this? It's a bunker. Your room's a little bit of a Fix her up or but I mean, at least you got a door. A scary door, but you still got a door. How long have you been down here? A couple days,
3: I think. You know, it's actually kind of hard to tell with uh, no windows,
4: sunlight, or anything. I mean, how do we get out of here? He didn't tell you? About getting out of here is the last thing you wanna do. Because the air up there, it's contaminated.
3: I see you've met
4: Emmett. What happened to him?
3: He did that to himself. And his stumbling around isn't helping anything. What you heard earlier was him knocking over a shelf with a whole week's worth of food, which he's sorry for, correct? Totally. Let's go. Bathroom time. This is the common area. Good for R&R. As you can see, I've planned for a long stay. The aquaponics system cleans the air and keeps it fresh. This is the living room. Help yourself to any reading. If you like to watch films, I have some on DVD and VHS cassette. Just make sure you put them back in their sleeve when they're done. The kitchen is fully functional. Has an electric stove, refrigerator, freezer, silverware. And that table is a family heirloom, which means watch your glasses. Always use coasters and placemats. Keep your hands to yourself. Understand? No touching.
1: So something about these films is they're really patient and they don't. there's not a lot of quick cuts. And that gives you guys the opportunity to do some interesting things. So can you talk about building a scene like that? Because uh, the, sometimes the lack of sound is just as unnerving as having sound.
0: Yeah, I think... Um, and the other mixer for this film was Will Files. I know he's been here... Um, couple of years ago to give a talk and he puts it perfectly where he says um, sound is your cheapest production design it can really contribute to making you know giving you a world for this film to live in and so um, it's really this film is perfect for it because uh, there's not much to it uh, you're in a bunker but we've created like uh, hums and tones, the AC ventilation rattle, you know, that you hear and
2: hear, yeah, and, too. and with the cinematography, with the mm-hmm. way, you know, the camera's panning around this space, and you're seeing the, you know, playing point of view with the sound design and with the mix, I mean, that's really when it comes together. Like, when we're panning through that bunker, you know, the music's leading us there, so it's kind of over here in the background, and then when we finally reveal the jukebox, like, it's a subtle thing, but Lindsay, you panned the music and you treated it with reverb, and uh, you, you tried to make it sound like it was coming out of the jukebox. Yeah, doing EQ, and mm-hmm. but but then when it comes center across the screen, you really highlight it, and it's a simple technique, but it it takes something as simple as panning across a room and adding definition and meaning to it. But like the real magic of that scene, I think is the awkward silence when Howard's like, no touching, and then there's no one says, it's like dead quiet.
1: The music drops out.
2: But the, mu- the At that point... Well, this, the
1: track finishes.
2: Yeah, the track's over, and if you thought you were going, hanging out in a bunker with John Goodman and listening to some sweet old, you know, Bobby Darin or whatever that track is, you know, you, yeah, it's this is not a comfortable place, and it's going to be full of these. So that was like, again... The, the, Less is more, you know? You know.
1: And uh, I think you have to keep in mind, too, that, like, this, for those who have seen the film, I think you're trying to figure out, you're pulling that clues, trying to understand what's going on. And sound, I think, was doing that for you guys. Because on screen, it was, it was pretty static.
2: Well, and then there's something to be said about John Goodman's performance in this movie, but also the way Lindsay mixed John Goodman's voice.
0: Yeah, I really tried to, well, because you're in this bunker in a closed tight space, um, I really just wanted the, all the dialogue to be really front and center, like a voiceover, um, just so it's, you know, right in your face. And he has such a great voice. And at that time, he was, you know, just breathing, like labored breathing. Yeah, there was- I was like, all right, let's boost that.
2: When we you know? heard that in the dailies, we were like, "Oh my God, this what is, is
0: that?" You <laughs> these okay. labored
2: breaths, and it, I mean, it was all part of his performance. Mm-hmm. But we really—you highlighted that. Yeah, it was—it was great working with his voice.
1: <laughs> so in this film, surprise, she makes it out. But spoiler alert. Spoil. I'm sorry <laughs> yeah, if you is, haven't seen the film. This is like
2: <laughs> ten, from ten minutes from the end of the movie. So if you haven't seen it, I'm so sorry that I just ruined it.
1: But, uh, but, so basically, a lot has happened between that scene and now, she's now out of the bunker, she thinks the air is poisonous, and basically she's been exposed to the world that she was well, in the car crash, basically. Right. The
2: movie up to this point has been a psychological question. Is John Goodman crazy and trying to keep me captive here and lying to me that the outside world is unsafe? Or is it actually unsafe? and this is where you find out.
1: All right, let's play this clip.
2: The most random thing occurred to me. I remember the the car alarm in the background. I just had a flashback listening to this. The the car alarm in the background, it's a rhythmic thing, right? And I remember while we were editing the movie and the picture was changing, every time the picture changed, every time they made a single cut, I had to redo the horn because rhythmically it would be off. It's funny the things you remember sometimes.
1: (laughs) So when that horn comes on, it's not subtle at all. It's, like, the loudest thing probably happening right then and there. And she runs through the shack, and it gets quiet. Like, you guys are building, and Barry McCreary's music is also, so, like, can you talk about building those dynamics to drop out? Because when she looks out for that first time, there's nothing, there's, like, that's the last place you want to be is with her in that shack. But you guys take the audience there. So can you talk about, like, building the dynamics in a a scene like this?
0: Well, it's great because you, you know, she's, she spots the spaceship, and that's when the music kicks off, and it's just like that's the driving force to the scene. You know, she's trying to get out of there, or, or by however she can, um, looking for keys, going through the truck, um, <clears throat> and then you know, so we build this moment of her like, you know, trying to get out of there, and um, a car alarm goes off. Uh, she runs to the shack, and that's when we just kind of drop everything. Um, you know, we'll drop the music. And it's just the sounds of nature, uh, her breathing um, that she, we, we brought her in to, well, we brought her in to record her for extra lines and for her efforts. Um, something you do <laughs> just so you can be with them because you can't always hear their efforts in the production track.
2: And that so stuff is so things. important emotionally. Yeah. Like there's something, there's, there's like a common theme with these things where it's often the smallest detail. You know, that, that really gives you a through line emotionally. Like, very early on when we're working on these films, before we bring the actors in to record the efforts and whatnot, I'm very often, in fact, I did this whole 10, you know, the whole last 10 minutes of the movie, I went into the ADR booth. And I was like, <laughs> 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 like and, 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 you know, it's just like the cherry on top when you, you're, you're designing and editing all these other sounds and it's it's an emotional through line.
1: And we're actually gonna see that with the next the next film, but like how that evolves into like carry-off oh, yeah. scene, right? Oh, yeah, um, but, but yeah. like
2: there's something to be said. I think there's a the, the thing about this movie. One of the things I like that this movie did was the music and the sound never fought. We never were battling for the same space. Um, there was always a clear definition: who was going to do what and where. And by design, you know, Bear and Bear, Bear, you know, brought things in and then brought things out. You know, like when we, when the music is going and it's building and the creature's coming right up and then it pokes its head through the doggy door. You know, the music just bows out and gives us a moment to exist. And that was all by design. And you know, Bear McCreary and Dan Trachtenberg. Um, you know, I graciously coming up with all these great moments where we can hand off to each other.
1: Can you talk about, and let's play this, this effects track, but uh, the sound of a, an alien spaceship in your mind.
2: You can see it like has tentacles, and it's like a hybrid mechanical organic thing. Um, so you know, but the the thing about when you're working on d- sounds for things that don't exist, you need to look at it visually and kind of do something with the sound that people can understand. You know, so like using jet sounds and things that helicopter sounds and things that we know. <laughs> And fly, you know, um, when you do something that you can relate to in a real way and then you mix in the weird, right? So there's a ton of like very strange elephants and, you know, I, I went full crazy and just threw everything that I could at, at this movie um, as far as sources um, But there, there is an interesting thing that we did where we tried to make the ship and the creature kind of seem sm- intelligent and not just animalistic and um, we subtly hinted at that by making sort of language call-outs. So there is like this moment as the ship's dropping off the creature, it almost sounds like it's saying something over the loudspeaker to it. And then in this moment... We actually put some radio calls in for the creature. all off screen, you know? Visually, she's just reacting. So it's, it's a real challenge to tell all that story off screen with sound. And um, the way I always do it is you look for that little nugget that you actually get on the screen and you design that and then you can kind of deconstruct that to learn the rules and come up with a motif that makes sense, you know? Like a big thing I think that carries through that is the breathing. Um, And we arrived at that by using, you know, sort of animal grunts and breaths, but then we treated them in an odd way. That's a sort of metallic breathing vibe. Um, And we actually ran all those sounds through a metal pipe and recorded it back to create that sort of strange, you know. So what you want as an audience member is to see it and hear something that makes sense, you know, because we're so good at, you know, oh, that doesn't, it doesn't look like that. It wouldn't make that sound. So it has these, like, metal tiles on them, so that is what informed the breathing.
1: There's also another little key element of, you mentioned the uh, scotch tape? Uh,
2: Yeah, 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 like the stretchy, yeah. So, you know, we're always listening, you know, sound people, we're always listening to the world around us, and, you know, you hear a cool door slam, you're like, whoa, that's, I have to record that, or a squeaky wheel, or whatever it might be, and uh, yeah, that was just packaging tape. Like you can get like really crazy sounds out of packaging tape, and you can like perform it. So um, yeah, one of the elements is the creature's neck is sort of elongating is just a uh, packaging tape. So
1: uh, we're gonna shift gears. We're kind of ramping Gritty, up. Pretty dark. Pretty much. Uh, I, I'd say I think Cloverfield Lane is more science fiction, but then like we take. A film like Overlord, um, which which came out in 2018, um, has anyone seen Overlord? A few people. Fantastic. Got a few. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, and it's set up the premise of what Overlord is because we're, we're, the first clip is actually the opening of the film. But uh, maybe just how that actually how the opening maybe kind of tells people how it works.
0: Well, uh, you're in. This is during World War II, and uh, just a day or two before D-Day. I'm sure everybody's seen Saving Private Ryan, right? (laughs) This is like the day before that, before they stormed the beaches of France. And um, uh, some soldiers go behind enemy lines and the the paratroopers go behind enemy lines and um, stay in a French village, um, meet the Nazis, and they're conducting...
2: Yeah, not all, is, not all is what you think it is. Yeah. So, um, yeah, they discover some crazy stuff. But it starts as like a, a war movie, like a typical yeah. war movie. And But but you mentioned Saving Private Ryan, yeah. and that's like, you know, when you're doing sound for a World War II film, that's like going to be rated R and gritty and, yeah. you know. Uh, the bar has been set, so <laughs> it was very challenging.
1: So this first scene, opening titles, let's, let's play it and then we, we can talk about it.
4: the destruction of
3: the German war machine, the elimination of Nazi tyranny over the oppressed peoples of Europe.
4: I have full confidence in your skill in battle. The eyes of the world are upon you.
1: We're going to stop there. Yeah, Yeah, that's good. So talk to me about the use of sound in the opening titles, because that's a choice that you guys had kind of made.
0: Yeah, so the, well, was it Nate? Nate Orloff had built, like he, they, they Uh, the assistant editor, the first
2: assistant editor on the movie Mm -hmm. built what you, you know, the dialogue build. Mm
0: -hmm. Yeah. He definitely like, he created the shape for that intro for us. Um, it was up to us to, you know, get the great sounding recordings and butts them up again. (laughs) Um, and it was a task actually to, when you put everything together with those voices making them sound so thin and using i think i use like speakerphone and futz box to you know mess with them
2: plug in nerds we can have a oh, talk yeah, afterwards
0: so much fun. <laughs> you, that's when you like really play <laughs> but um, you like futz them up and then you are given this music that's huge and wide and full and and that was a, a big task to mix but one of the things i did was um since we were mixing this in atmos um those dialogue bits were, I created, made them objects and um, really like increased the size of it uh, just to make it fuller. Um, and that really helped bring it through. And then of course you have the planes and bombers and all of that.
2: Yeah. And all sorts of radio futzing and, um, you know, uh, radio communications going in and out of that stuff. But, I mean, like, the thing about this that I just love, it's like there, there's a, there's always these, these moments in films that are, like, prime real estate. Like, if you can get in there, you can do some serious damage. And to me, like, there's no... It's always the beginning and it's the ending. You know, the very first thing you hear in a film and the very last thing you hear in a film. And when you can utilize those places I, and do something interesting like I love that I'm into it
1: so the film obviously sets up the um, a soundscape of you know radio communication but then it kind of becomes very disoriented with this first the, the clip that we pulled out here soon after you're kind of put in the perspective of these these um, you know army members
0: young yeah young paratroopers who are about to just parachute into Nazi territory yeah, I mean, let's not even right. set it up.
2: Just just bl- <laughs> blast it. All right, here we go.
1: So when you see a scene like that, it's a lot, it's a, you know, five, four or five minutes, but this is the opening of the film. What
2: do you do, Robbie? I mean, yeah. <laughs> I need to like take a breath after, just listening to that was so intense. Um, yeah. I mean, yeah, so from the very beginning, you know, the bar was set with like the intensity of the opening of Saving Private Ryan, we we definitely had discussions like, yeah, so like, we're, if it doesn't sound as good or better, like we're, we're, you know, that's where we have to go for. So, um, unlike, you know, 10 Cloverfield Lane, which for the most part was full of like these real subtle sort of delicate sound moments, this was nothing like that. And we really wanted to just put you in the experience. And I mean, you know, with this, it was like, the first thing you do when you get it is you have to source the material. So I researched, you know, that plane, the C-47 that they used, um, and I actually found one in Palm Springs, which was like, you know, a short drive. Um, and, um, I had contacted the museum, the air museum out there, about getting access to it and recording it. And we were going to do it, and we ended up not doing it. You know, we just didn't have the time, really, and I was able to source some recordings from sound libraries that have already been made. But it's funny, like, with the propellers and, and that plane, like you get all this source you know accurate material historically accurate because you want it to be real but sometimes it's like not as cinematic as you want it to be so specifically with the plane and the engines in that scene for the longest time it was the actual sound of the c47 and then I remember it was very late in the mix and JJ was like super stoked on how the scene was sounding and but he brought up he's like you know Something about those planes, that the, the engine doesn't sound like... Now that everything else is really good, like we need to give some more attention to that. So, and this is kind of interesting, I think. Like The, the thing that we arrived at for creating the engine was, you know, you're sitting in the fuselage and you're on the left and the right, you have different propellers. And the way those airplanes worked was, in the cockpit, there's two levers that are next to each other and it's, you know, acceleration and de And because it's not, you know, computer controlled, it's analog, um, even a really good pilot might not necessarily have the right engine and the left engine in exact pitch and frequency with each other. So, um, we ended up taking two individual prop recordings from, like, a modern prop plane. And then over the course of the scene, we performed what the pilot was doing in accordance to the picture. So at certain moments, he's diving, so we needed to really increase the throttle. In other moments, we wanted to create some space for some dialogue to exist, so we we brought down the RPMs. But if you listen really closely, the left and the right are at different pitches, and it really kind of creates this natural Doppler thing.
1: Something you mentioned was dialogue, and in this scene, you found that dialogue, the emotion of the guys, that what they're experiencing, and we have this stem here, and I'd love to play a little bit of the section, we can hear what, what the isolated dialogue sounds like first, and we can talk about it. Oh, we must be getting close.
4: Yeah, yeah. oh, Hope
1: wrong. nothing goes wrong. We miss our job and land in the middle of a German squad or something.
4: Nothing's gonna go wrong. Because we both know what the Nazis are gonna do to a guy named Rosenfeld. Nothing's gonna go wrong.
3: Just a little crowd hello, ladies. Hold your seat let's and let's stay let's calm. Go. We jump when the light tells
4: us. let's go!
3: Let's go. Isn't this fun, ladies? <laughs> 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 oh,
4: shit. Much flag. much We're gonna have to drop a couple of clicks south. Copy that. <laughs>
3: Didn't I tell you, ladies, I'd show you a good time?
1: So, you guys caught the oh my god, oh my god. Robbie, what's the story behind the oh my god guy?
2: That, so, in does everybody remember the trailer for Cloverfield? The first Cloverfield movie trailer. So, there's the moment where the... Statue of Liberty Head comes in a frame and you hear somebody screaming in the background. Oh my God! Oh my God! So the person who screamed that was Brian Burke, who's producer of all all, all those movies and um, a friend of mine. And we've always tried to like put that in Cloverfield. It's, just, it's like our own little Easter egg. oh my God. but like for real though, like, when you listen to that dialogue stem alone, I mean, you feel all the intense, I mean, there's so much intensity coming from that.
1: Why, why is that, Robbie? Lindsay.
2: <laughs> Wait. It was Lindsay. Well, you're, you're missing <laughs> a point I, here. I'll tell you about the Robbie, explosions and stuff. Just take credit. Yeah. Well, I d- my voice is in there.
0: He's the. You're the oh my god, right? I'm the oh my god.
2: <laughs> and then later, I got to say the F word, which was really cool. <laughs>
1: So sometimes, like you're saying, when you need something else, why not just pick up a microphone and yeah. accentuate? And actually, when you listen to the isolated aspect of that stem, you can understand how everyone's going through this this experience together. It's it's very one and everyone's in the same you know, yeah. chip. Most
0: of that, you know, well, we... I got what I could from the production track, um, but a lot of times it's very thin because um, the boom in there was just too far I, I had to use a lot of the lav mics and uh, those also have a lot of you know schmutz on them because it's like on their soldiers' clothes and everything um, so uh, that was difficult but we uh, also recorded group for that I think I had two days um, for group and it's basically you know you get a bunch of actors like 10 actors and you're all in a room and you're like all right i need a reaction for this i need you guys talking about this you're freaking out all right Mm -hmm. the plane is banking left and almost doing a dive bomb react to that and i was like i want it to be kind of like a roller coaster too um so you direct them to do that and you get all of that and you put it in and you're like whoa now i really can't hear anything (laughs) that the guys are saying and when you know a lot one one trick that i learned is uh You know, when you're mixing a scene like this, um, you have these big effects. Um, Music hasn't come in yet, but you also have these loud um, background voices. Um, And you're like, I'm trying to hear what they're saying. Is it the effects or what? And it's really just like dialogue that was getting in the way of the dialogue. So, you know, if you can carve out, you know, a spot for the dialogue to shine, even with the group yells and everything, that'll really help. but
2: yeah, it was a lot of fun too. Yeah, there's a lot. There's only the so many frequencies, you know. The re- <laughs> it's like yeah.
1: I think Such we, we, we pulled out the um. This is the background stem, um, which we'll see here.
2: Yeah. So this wind. I, I was inspired, you know, we, you're always trying to relate things, even if it's as extraordinary as this, to experiences you've had in your life, right? So I, I haven't jumped out of a plane into, into war, but I have ridden a, a scooter, a Vespa, <laughs> around town. <laughs> and no, but like, you know, even at 30, even at like 20 miles an hour, 25, 35 miles an hour, when you have a helmet on, and the wind is blowing at you, and it's like going into the crevices of the helmet, in your ear, you get like this howling sound. So I, you know, I was riding a Vespa to and from work at the time, and I would hear that wind. I'd be like, oh, I gotta do something like that when he's jumping out of the plane. That just felt right to me. So in the mix, you barely hear that, but it's in there, and it's a high enough frequency that there's nothing else really happening up there. So it, it cuts through. But um, yeah, relating things to your own experience is always uh, helpful.
1: Um, we have a few more clips, but so for the sake of time, so I want to allow you guys to ask some questions with these guys. Um, I want to jump to Anti or, well, this is, this is, let's see, this is, oh. Oh, yeah. Let's, actually, let's play this real quick. We're yeah, trying to yeah. get as much as we can. So this
2: is when they're, yeah, they landed.
1: of his opportunity there it's like the setup the sound has drawn you in and you created this kind of character voice of this auntie so let me play the next clip i, I think then we can talk about it
4: I told you my aunt was sick.
1: So there's something that happens in of horror films is they kind of play with you, obviously, and that allows you guys. It gets it's quiet, and then it gets even quieter, and then boom, it's yeah. in your the face.
2: There, there's a trick where like you give the audience one thing to listen to, you know, something that's like makes them lean in. You're like, I'm listening to this one thing, trying to zero in on it, and then. Boom. We get you. So I think it's like the clock and the the, the ambient sound of this of this home that they're in, um, and just having that really quiet moment. All you really hear is the clock in the background, and then you get that giant jump scare. But like the thing to really talk about with the, this clip is the the sick auntie. So that, I mean, I can tell you that you know one of the joys of working on you know different projects is always. Um, learning about different things that you you know doing research and you you find yourself on YouTube looking at things that you would never really look at normally and uh, I went down the rabbit hole with sort of like respiratory illness <laughs> stuff you know because for you know you gotta you gotta reference something you gotta learn so um, yeah I, my YouTube search history is highly uh, questionable. Uh, <laughs> Uh, But really, it was inspired by, you know, sort of emphysema and and that sort of vibe. Um, You know, there's a fine line with that, because it's like, it needed to sound normal enough, but like, just a tinge of otherworldly, and that's a fine line often. So, you know, you can go overboard and have sort of monsterish, coughing and and then you go the other way where it's too pedestrian but then you can arrive at something that seems just right
1: so monstrous and over the top i think uh the last clip i want to play is this can you the creature of him morphing so jumping ahead
2: yeah do we want to set this up at all
1: no let's just play all right <laughs>
4: What are you doing? Boys, he's dead. Rosenfeld. get these explosives off the table, we need to move. They haven't hurt us by now, they're just dead. Move it! Keep moving! Move! Boys, explosives now. Come on, your support can't cover that beach as long as that tower's still up. You're smiling probably. holy Christ. Uh, you asked what the serum was, from. I'm thirsty. How do you how do you feel? feel really good.
3: Doesn't even hurt.
4: Not as bad as it looks, I guess. That's weird. Add it to the list. Chase? Huh? Can you stand up? Yeah? Easy. (sighs) Is it hot in here? I I feel hot. Chase? Chase. Maybe you should stay on. My head hurts. you uh-huh.
1: I'm so sorry. Uh, not to leave you on a high note, I mean, or anything, but. Uh,
2: yeah, it's super like David Cronenberg, body horror. Mm-hmm. Just, yeah.
1: So obviously you can see a visual effects, and this is something that came in a lot later in the film. They, like, they delivered, the, yeah. you're always waiting for visual effects, but there's there's subtlety and nuance and texture and bone and weight that you guys are pulling at, which I think, obviously, the audience feels. Um, yeah. I'd love just to ask, open up the, the house here for a few questions. If anyone has any questions for these guys before we wrap up. Uh, we have a microphone right here, I guess right here in front. Hey guys, uh, I wanted to jump back to 10 Cloverfield Lane really quick. Um, you touched really lightly on some of your BGs and the ambience work, but for a film where so much of it takes place in one potentially very static (laughs) location. Yeah, I'm hoping you might be able to dive a little bit deeper into how you really added so much movement and um, life to the ambiences, even beyond some of, like, the other room stuff.
2: I I love your question. I love ambiences. It's one of my favorite things to do in the whole world. It's so fun. It's, like, just building a world of sound around you that is meant to just kind of just sit there and not take the attention but really set... You know, it's the plate that everything rests on. So, um, yeah, 10 Cloverfield Lane was super challenging in that regard because it's just a few rooms. And, like, what do you do in a room that's interesting and not entirely static? So to, to make it unstatic, we did a lot of perspective work. So, you know, as the camera moves around, we would take individual elements and pan them around the room. But it's funny, like, I remember just, like, You know, thinking about air conditioning a lot and like, you know, how air conditioning sounds uh, perspective wise and like coming up with ideas like, oh, well, maybe this vent is a little rattly and it can have a little intermittent thing that comes and goes. And, um, you know, there's a few things in that bunker that are really fun for sound. There's like in the panning shot, there's an aquarium, which is Howard says it's like something to do with hydroponics. So we kind of had um, an aquarium pump compressor that could be running and little bubble sounds. There was also a grandfather clock in the bunker somewhere, and um, so you have uh, you can uh, you can play with that. But you know when it comes to like rhythmic things, like again, like I mentioned with the alarm, every time they change the edit, the clock goes out of sync, and and then you have to like start from the beginning. So, but anyways. Um, yeah, I, we put a lot of thought into it. And, you know, we wanted the bunker to be a character in the film because there's some clips that you didn't see in the movie where, um, you know, the bunker shuts down for a minute. Like, there's a moment in the movie where they lose their um, air supply and Michelle has to go crawl through these air ducts to get to the compressor. And um, you know, making the bunker a character, and then giving that character dynamics. So at one point in the film, it can sound sick and like it's not working so well, um, and then restore its energy again. You know, in that first clip when the lights go out, you know, adding all sorts of pipe rattles and you know, just definition. But yeah, I mean, uh, it was a lot of fun to do, um, and it was just an exercise in subtlety.
0: Um, this gentleman has a question for Lindsay. Uh, for Zombie Double Tap, how do you keep the sound similar for a sequel that was made 10 years later? Well, um, well, for this one, it's a little different because you have um, a different hybrid of zombie <laughs> in this new film.
2: <laughs> I love, like, you become an expert on You're like, well... There's a hybrid zombie, and it's slightly <laughs> more. Limo-
0: <laughs> which is, which is um, I guess, like one of the points of the film, too. Um, I actually did not work on the zombie noises, but uh, that was the idea. <laughs> so I can't expand too much on it. I
2: mean, I could kind of give you an answer that, it, like with Star Wars, like when you're working with, you know, on, on episode seven, The Force Awakens, and episode nine you know, you're dealing with sound effects that were created in the 70s uh, or the 80s, and you're bringing them back in an interesting way, and or you're maybe you're, you know, adding some fidelity to them and whatnot. So, yeah, when you're working on sequels or established worlds, you kind of already have an aesthetic and a framework to work within. Sometimes it's really nice, because you're like, you don't have to figure out the aesthetic yourself. There's already a bar and tone that's set, so you just play within it. I hope that relates to the Zombieland.
4: I also had a question about Zombieland Double Tap.
0: Um,
2: (laughs) (laughs) I actually just saw it. Um, I thought the mix was fantastic. Um, Could you elaborate a little bit on how you approach the mix for the different title sequences, specifically for the rules and the commandments?
0: So, and I will say, on Zombieland, I was a dialogue editor. I oh. wasn't a mixer, Okay. but um, I was there on the stage. And they, so the title sequence, you know, they went, there was actually a debate between doing uh, Enter Sandman and Master Puppets, and they were like, "Yeah, let's go this route. <laughs> let's try something new and fun, um, or different. Uh, but it was really just about the music for the opening titles and letting the effects stay under that. Um, and for the um, rules and commandments and all of that, uh, they—I I can only say you know what they did. I didn't work on that part um, on the effects, but uh, it was just really just having fun with it. Um, Ruben Fleischer, the director whom you've worked with as well.
2: Yeah, I worked with him on on Venom.
0: He's um, definitely a director that's just like, what do you got? Give it to me, and he'll comment on that. Uh, And so they just basically tried a few things, and he was like, all right, I like that. Uh, Change it. Make it more punchy or something. And So, yeah. Sorry. Hope that helps. (laughs) It
4: does. Thank you.
1: Well, that's all the time we have. So I'd like to thank everyone for coming out today and enjoy the rest of the festival. Thank you guys so much. We'll have a chance to talk outside, so thank you.